maybe it's time I change religions on you Turn a Christian to a Muslim, turn a Buddhist to a Christian Tell them Catholics mind they business Sipping red wine inside the Pentagon Writing sinister lines till all the ink inside my pen is gone Jeremy Lynn got the world watching ESPN My sick porno obsessions got me watching these lesbians I'm a sick fucking psychotic bastard The mic is my sword, the booth is your casket I'm sitting inside a classic 6-4 with the ratchet Throwing up West Side is my worst fucking habit All these snapbacks and egos, eyes looking through peepos That's why I don't trust no one except God and Tim Tebow What's going on guys? My name is Alden Hero And welcome to episode 70 of the Midnight Hour It's only taken us 2 years and 8 months Or 9 months maybe to make 70 weekly episodes so uh you can do the maths and figure out that that is probably not conducive to an episode every week since the inception of the podcast but i think we've done a good job nonetheless and we are on a really good run of late for real and i want to say thanks for all the support all the listens all the likes all the clicks i think the numbers are down for what they were at the peak but that can only be expected with you know, a long sort of spell of either mediocrity or complete lack of activity, and those things are not to be tolerated. This episode you're about to listen to is about the greatest movie villains, because this has long been a movie podcast in the guise of a podcast about pop culture. I think more so if there were to be like a thesis or like a central theme running through this entire podcast, it would be movies impact on popular culture. So as like pretty much everyone who's been on the show is a movie buff to some degree, I thought it would be good to hit this topic because we've done previous episodes about real life villains. We've done episodes on real life bad guys who would make good movie villains. Uh, We've done episodes on even just the best characters that we like in movies and uh, pop culture and things like that. So that's what this episode is about. I want to warn you that there will be spoilers in this episode. There are too many movies to name straight up that are spoiled, but the one movie that does get ruined is The Usual Suspects. So I think once you hear us about to start talking about The Usual Suspects, maybe you want to skip forward five minutes or so. Everything else is fairly standard. I mean, we'll ruin Star Wars, but you had that ruined for you long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, Lots of other movies in there, but again, they're huge movies from the past. Like, we didn't ruin anything that's just come out or anything like that. One of my favorite villains that I actually completely forgot to mention in this episode is the Immortan Joe from the recent Mad Max Fury Road movie. Uh, he is played by an actor who actually played a bad guy in a previous Mad Max movie, but he plays a completely different character. And it's one of the things about the Mad Max universe that really fascinates me is that the new one, the latest one, Fury Road, is not exactly a reboot, nor is it a sequel. It's just another story that exists in the Mad Max universe. And it's just very, very captivating. I I find the whole concept of the wasteland to be amazing. I really love the complete rabid and feral sort of animalistic version of Max that Mad uh, that Mad Max brings, that uh, Tom Hardy, that Mad Tom Hardy brings to the role. Like, he really just gives it such rawness that uh, Mel Gibson didn't quite do, but it was a different time. And I really do like the new interpretation of Mad Max and the screen, the... Just the cinematography in that movie is incredible. The audio effects are outrageous. It was made with such 
minimal uses of CGI, and it really is, in my opinion, like a marvel in filmmaking. It's one of the most well-put-together movies I've ever seen. But one of the things I really enjoy is that you are instinctively aware that Mad Max, um, his, his like the main central villain in the movie is going to be the Immortan Joe from the off, pretty much. Like It's done in a very weird way. There's very little dialogue in the movie uh, in comparison to a normal action-style movie, but everything is set up so clearly based on uh, visualizations and stuff like that. But the Immortan Joe plays a really sinister guy who there are so many bad things things that he does like he has all these war boys that are hooked up to um like blood packages and they they find donors out in the wild and they bring them back and they hook them up so that they're giving blood to these people uh unwillingly and stuff like that um it's it's very he's so evil he has like so many wives and he really wants a son so presumably he's doing things that these wives don't really want to happen and stuff like that all in the name of him finding a son and he has one pregnant wife um and she escapes and that sort of sets up the plot of the movie or well she's sort of taken out of captivity by furiosa who's played by Charlize theron but the immortan joe is just such a terrifying and and insane guy and there seems to be no limits to how bad he is you can see that he's enslaved uh, a civilization out there in the wasteland and he rations the water that he gives them even though he has a seemingly infinite supply of it he treats everyone around him like slaves or servants and he's just a really nasty guy and i really wanted to talk about him in the podcast but i completely forgot so anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. As always, if you want to discuss it, check out uh, reddit.com slash r slash midnight hour. If you're not interested in Reddit, you don't want to do any of that stuff, leave a YouTube comment. There's only ever like 10 of them on the podcast, so uh, you might as well leave one. I think if I could ask one question for you guys to leave a comment about, it would be what's your favorite movie villain, and you can leave it right now and then see if we discuss it throughout the episode. But yeah, definitely do that. It would be really, really cool to read your comments. It's something I actually miss is uh, coming on, like waking up on a Saturday morning and looking at the comments that people have left on the Friday night for those of you lunatics that stay up to listen to it um, and then throughout the weekend just catching comment updates and stuff like that it's really fun and uh, I think that we would do well to bring that back also the episode is available on SoundCloud if you want to download it you can click the link in the description and you need to be on a computer to download it but it is really cool I always download um all the podcasts I listen to from SoundCloud and then put them on my phone because I'm in a really fortunate position of being able to listen to podcasts in work and I find that it makes the day go so much quicker. There are so many podcasts I get through and it's awesome because like you learn, there's there's something of a, a sort of a um, interactive experience with listening to a podcast that you don't get from other experiences, I think. Like I listen to music a lot. It's not quite the same. Uh, obviously still great i think music is good conceptually anyway the episode opened with a song called movies by exhibit because i was listening to music the other day speaking of music um and i was like what's exhibit up to nowadays because i really liked his verse on that dre album that came out uh last year i think it was or maybe earlier this year the compton one anyway and I looked up some exhibit tracks and started listening to them and I found this one. I really like the game. He's actually a rapper whose album I had as a kid, the documentary, and I knew every word to every song off by heart and stuff like that. So uh, he's always had a, uh, I've always had a soft spot for the game basically is what I'm saying. So I listened to this song and exhibits verse comes in at the end and he literally just lists off 
a bunch of movies and that's the verse and it is fucking incredible and i'm gonna play that before the episode starts so uh i really hope you guys enjoyed that just a quick heads up the episode has loosemore and one of my friends simon who is from bucket rocket gaming and i'm gonna leave the facebook link for them in the description and i'd really like it if you could go and leave a like on their facebook page that would be really really awesome so um yeah go do that and enjoy exhibits verse in this track and uh, i'll see you guys later back when we were kings we were the lord of the rings requiem for a dream smoking my soil and green now i know where the case first sings there's no more men of honor i'm mind man in my suit of armor running from karma the good die young no country for old men there will be blood deeper than leviathan and my platoon full of bad lieutenants x-men expendables bad company Criminals, crush crews with a Kango, surfing in the rainbow. 48 hours to kill Bill Cash and Tango. Brave heart battleship, devil's advocate with the passion of crisis, a wonderful life. Miami Vice with to get right. It's midnight in the garden of good and evil. I crash ordinary people, lethal weapon without both sequels. Survive the Hunger Games. The gods must be crazy, ricochet through the purple rain. Because the devil wears Prada, the dead presidents can turn a good fella to a godfather. Animal house, stand in the Deliver the king's speech, Leonardo DiCaprio on the beach, Ocean's Eleven, if all dogs go to heaven, the silence of the lamb, son of Sam Seven, I am legend, fuck this new Jack City, I'm on the Midnight Express, witness American history acts, yes. Off the dome and I'm talking slick as petroleum, the power in the verse can stop me. What's going on guys, my name is Elden Aro and welcome to Annihilation 47 of Experiment 13. On the, oh wait, I am mean to welcome to episode 70 of the Midnight Owl. I am a robot with no sense of punctuation and today we are going to drive around in the van and solve mysteries and stuff. <laughs> the thing is, I forgot to scroll down so there's a tiny gap between we are and going to drive. I'll, I'll edit that out in, in post-production, I'll have my sound engineer do it. Um, so, for real, welcome to episode 70. Presumably this is episode 70, it may not be. I'm joined today by Loosemore. Hello. And making his podcast debut from Bucket Rocket Designs, it's the man who made the thumbnail that you can look at anytime you want if you look up right now at your screen. It's Simon. Hello. And today we're going to drive around in a van and solve mysteries. Um, but today's episode is about the greatest movie villains, because... Why not? It's a thing that we haven't done, and that's weird, I think, because this podcast has always had its roots in movies and characters of movies, and we basically get all the information about the world from movies, because that's... We, we don't go outside. Yeah, and, and we didn't listen in school, so how else are we supposed to know anything? <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, there was, like, a light Scooby-Doo reference in there, and that is a show packed with villains who all mm -hmm. want to appear as though they are someone else to try and get away with things, but some meddling kids stop them. And that's really fucking weird, isn't and, it? And, you know, the dog. And the dog, yeah. That's the weirdest part, actually. <laughs> but isn't it very odd, I don't know if you guys know this, but that every... The guy in Scooby-Doo episodes who is the villain is always the third person that they meet in that episode. Like every time uh, that does, that's consistent across the whole thing. Like the the twist ending, it it's always the third person that they meet. So um, that's fucked up. And you know what else is fucked up? Frank Sinatra named the series Scooby Doo when the song "Strangers in the Night" when he starts going into that Scooby Dooby Doo thing. So uh, 
The more you know. I don't know why you acted surprised, Lewis Moore, because you were on the episode where I discovered that. But, um... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's like Scooby-Doo paved the way for like TV show murder shows now. I mean, you only have to watch those shows and be like, it's definitely the bloke that was introduced at like the coffee shop who seemed like he didn't know what was going on, but he definitely killed the old lady. You know what I mean? Like, that's... You know, that's definitely what it is. Like, My favourite of those murder mystery shows is Murder, She Wrote, where they live in a town with a population of, like, 2,000 people. And this is, it's basically seven people, the same seven people every episode, and they introduce one new character every episode that's yeah. definitely murdered everyone. And there's been, yeah. like, 268 murders in the little town, and, like, yeah. the the old woman is like, it's this guy, and the law enforcement agents are like... Uh, I don't know. You may have been right about 99.9% of them so far, but I got no reason to trust you this time. Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird that they got however many years of a television series out of that concept. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any uh, villains from TV series, by the way? Because I said movie villains, but I think there's room for TV show guys and video game guys, maybe? Definitely. Um, I've got an idea for one from a TV show, but it comes in at the right time when you say the wrong thing, so I'll save that. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I was thinking... I just, off the top of my head, as soon as you said TV villains, I well, like a weird one is like John Locke from Lost. Ah. I he's, he's a good kind of like weird TV villain. I, I do like thinking outside the box about my villains and sort of coming up with ones that are not the traditional, like you know, the hard-hitting villains. And I think that just the the plot writers on Lost are, like, villains because nothing that <laughs> happens in that show matters at all in any way. No. Like, you could no. watch episode one of Lost and then watch the last episode of Lost and you wouldn't have missed out any meaningful thing throughout the entire series. Like, it's just stuff happens, it goes nowhere... Other weird stuff happens, and it's weird, definitely, but we're on an island, and it's purgatory, or whatever is the... Yeah. Um, so, to start off, I guess we'll talk about Darth Vader. Get that out of the way, because um, when anyone thinks... I think he's just synonymous with the idea of a great movie villain, um, especially when you consider that he was a weird little child who won a pod race, and then went on to... <laughs> <laughs> slaughter loads of kids and then kill loads of his own officials and walk around being a really heavy-handed badass type guy who quite clearly has made his choice and decides evil is the way to go um and then i guess he kind of becomes the hero but if you let your villain live long enough they'll become the hero anyway so... <laughs> that's that's what they say um do you think that, like, the the prequels, like, demean his villainness somewhat? Like, because he was the ultimate movie badass villain. Like, like a robot, like, dressed in black, kind of a, you know, half kind of human. Like, he had a badass voice. Everyone thought he was, like, the coolest character in those movies. Yeah, he was the bad guy. You know, but now now he wins podcasts and, like... <laughs> he wins podcasts. He wins podcasts. Yeah. I think it gives him a bit more weight. The, the problem with I have with Vader in the, the original trilogy rather than the prequel trilogy is we're expected to believe he's a badass without actually really seeing him be a badass. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think yeah, he, but he, only... he force chokes people without any names, so you know, that's, that's cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. I, I, think, I think the only... Uh, the way that they sort of strengthen the 
tread in him going from angsty emo to badass villain is the scene in the fucking what revenge of the sith is that what the third one is called um yeah when he slaughters all the younglings, <laughs> which I just can't get over that they were like, we, we yeah. could call them children. Nah, we need another word for children. They yeah. don't say children in, in the Star Wars universe. We'll call them younglings. Um, but yeah, when he kills them all and he turns around and he's got his hood up and you can see that yellowy, toxic sickness in his eyes. I thought that was pretty damn badass. Plus, you are not expecting to see slaughtered children in a Star Wars movie. Like, it's very, very dark. And I think that was a necessary step, and it went some way towards saving the the build of that character, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, um, the second... The episode two uh, portrayal of Anakin was... Uh, unsavory and not very helpful I think to his build because it just shows that I guess in in one way it shows that he lets his emotions get the better of him a lot and that's usually sort of the hallmark of a villain um, or at least in the early stages of a villain but it's too cheesy and too sort of sickly like just the whole thing was badly done and overdrawn and yeah, I think it kind of does taint his legacy in some way, but thankfully we think of the prequels as an entirely separate set of movies, so um, we're sort of lucky enough that Darth Vader lasts as the guy who turns up in A New Hope and is just the scariest motherfucker in the entire galaxy. Yeah, I mean, if you emerge from, like, smoke and gunfire dressed all in black, you know, it's pretty cool, isn't dressed it? Dressed as a space ninja. Yes, <laughs> a, a robot space ninja. Yeah, yeah he looks like the head samurai guy or something. Yeah. He's, he's very, very cool to look at, but, um, yeah, he's just, he's always the guy who's, who's pronounced, like, number one, or at least top five in these types of lists, so I think it's sort of good to get that out of the way. What's your favourite Vader moment? Either probably or. seeing his real face and just seeing how ugly he is yeah. <laughs> how messed up he is and just thinking you've been a badass this whole time but now I know you're just some ugly old pervert I, <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about you anymore Darth <laughs> an ugly um, old pervert <laughs> um, I'm not going to go with the pervert angle I'm going to I'm going to go with like, the end of um, Empire Strikes Back that was like pretty cool he basically kicks his son's ass yeah, like he, he does. Just, like no remorse, like you know. So yeah. I, I actually think, yeah, him him turning up in Cloud City was a a huge sort of I don't know the way he betrayed Lando. He turned everyone against each other, and it ends with him being like the just the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Like he's just yeah. so I don't know when he's at that dinner table when they walk. That, into I was gonna the say room. the dinner the dinner table scene is just. That's pretty cool. Just him sitting at the dinner table <laughs> with a leg of chicken he, he in one hand. He clearly doesn't eat. He clearly doesn't eat. And what's he doing at the dinner table? <laughs> it's it's so great the way he blocks the the blasts from Han Solo's gun as well, and just yeah. I don't know. It's so like they are mild. Like Han Solo could never beat Darth Vader in a fight ever, and like. Mm. it's made apparent in that one scene like Han Solo's main strength and Vader's like lol nope and then stops it and then oh yeah, yeah we'll um, 
we'll use. He's just the... like enjoying a glass of wine at the same time, just sort of like <laughs> yeah. not giving any fucks, just like yeah. And he's saying like, yeah, we'll we'll use the carbonite, and Lando's like, oh no, that that'll kill a person, and Vader's like, all right, well we'll test it on your best buddy then, because like I literally own you now, and you have <laughs> yeah. to do every single thing that I say. It's so fucking just evil, like just straight up demonic evil, and I love how. Darth Vader knows he's evil and he doesn't give a fuck. Like, it's a very cool thing. Um, do you have anything else to add on Vader or will we move on to the next obvious candidate? Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him in Rogue One. Um, I yeah. Have about 20 minutes of pretty badass fight scenes of him shredding people apart. So I'm really excited to see that side of him. Yeah. I yeah, because we see... never really got to see that side. No. no. Kind of, you know. Yeah. yeah, because think... episode one, or sorry, episode four, when he first arrives, it's just because of the screenwriting and the directing, it's just understood that he's done some shit. Like, yeah. but obviously you don't ever get to see a representation of it, so that would be cool if uh, if that happens in Rogue One. I, like, I definitely want to see him kill lots of people. Yeah, he needs to. Yeah. He definitely finds people's lack of faith disturbing. So I want to see a scene where, like, <laughs> you know, there's that. Like, he's just, that's where it starts. Like, they're like, you know. Yeah. You know, so. Do you think... That should be his introductory line in Rogue One. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone in here lacking some faith? <laughs> Let me help you with that. <laughs> That's something like Shaggy Doo then. Started off where Scooby Doo and now Vader is. <laughs> well, they got the idea of Vader from Scooby Doo. I think everyone knows that. So. Yeah, right. definitely. Um, do you think, by the way, um, that he's going to kill the woman in Rogue One and that that's how it'll end? I think that's what's going to happen. That'd be a good way to end it. Yeah, probably. Carry it, it makes sense story-wise why she's not in yeah. Episode Four. Yeah. You know? She quite Being clearly has that. an important role, like in the universe, in that sense. So, yeah, I think she is gonna die, and I think it will be devastating and stuff. But at least the men's rights activists will be happy that feminism <laughs> suffers a loss. <laughs> I wondered how long it would take you to say that word. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just like, I cannot get enough of the fact that people are angry that there's a woman in the lead role of Star Wars. Like, it's so fucking, like, it, yeah. it's, it's a movie series where, like, in the original three movies, apart from Princess Leia women have like 17 seconds of dialogue in the total <laughs> thing and people are like ah oh, there can't be a woman in Star Wars <laughs> but um yeah well we move on to uh, the Joker Gotham yeah. City's anarchist who just does things just because which is a really neat dynamic for a villain because while Vader's hatred and evil is very much uh, something he's self-aware of and something that he channels towards things. The Joker, as he says in The Dark Knight, is like a dog chasing a car. He doesn't know what he would do if he actually managed to catch one. Mm. Um, what is the best portrayal of the Joker on screen? I, I mean, for me personally, it's Jack Nicholson, but I think as like the embodiment of that character, like the the evilness, like the villainness, uh, if you like, will I guess it's um, Heath Ledger, but for me, like he's he's more like uh, the clown prince Joker sort of persona in like the original Tim Burton movies, but you know um, that's that's for, that's me personally. So. What do you think, yeah. 
Well, Heath Ledger's has definitely got a lot more depth. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's not so much... Oh, I hate to say gimmicky, because that's not really what it is, but he, I think Jack Nicholson's definitely plays on the, the concept as it originally emerged, um, yeah. whereas Heath Ledger kind of plays on how it's developed over the years. Yeah, I agree completely. I think Jack Nicholson's is comic booky, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but Chris Nolan obviously took um, like the conscious step of moving away from the wacky sort of insane idea of the comic book like Batman universe and yeah. moved it towards the more the Frank Miller like really dark and dreary disturbed and, yeah like no well the joke is clearly disturbed but yeah yeah it's um the thing about like Chris Nolan's Batman universe is that like not a single person in it has a sense of humor <laughs> like <laughs> there's like three jokes across the entire movies and that's pretty much yeah it. To the point where, like, in in The Dark Knight Rises, when Catwoman jumps off the building and Batman says, So that's what that feels like. It's, like, the most out-of-place and weird line. Like, when I was when I saw that in the cinema, I was, like, uncomfortable at how odd that line <laughs> seemed out of place. And you, enjoyed, you didn't enjoy the rest of the movie because of it. <laughs> yeah. No, it ruined every movie I'd ever seen because of it. Um, I, I really like Heath Ledger's Joker, and I think it was a good step to put that in there because the Chris Nolan Batman movies are now considered amongst the best comic book movies of all time or movies based on comic books whereas the Tim Burton Batman has sort of um, I don't know it's it's fallen out like it, the flavor of it is stale in some way it, it doesn't have like I don't know that meaningful way of captivating the audience like it's more I don't really know how to explain it. It's not as refined and it didn't try to make an imprint or a commentary on what was happening in the world at the time. Whereas I think Chris Nolan did a very good job of making it so that it was relatable to reality in some way. And that's what helps Heath Ledger's Joker. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, the the Tim Burton version has definitely fallen into the kind of vein that the, uh, the Batman TV series has from the 60s. Yeah, for sure. It's not something somebody of a new generation could pick up and and find it easy to access. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. It's it's too old, flavoursome of that era. And plus, I do I do enjoy his portrayal though. Like it's it's more, it is more comic booky. Like there's a scene where he has a giant gun and a flag comes out that says "bang." Yeah, yeah. That's an art gallery and he like you know there's like a dance fucking scene, like. You know, it's it's just it's just fucking weird. But like it, I like as a kid, I enjoy it, and I kind of still enjoy it as an adult. But I think you're right. I don't think I don't think if you were like ten now and you had a choice between, or you know, just like preteens, like you had a choice between watching those movies or The Dark Knight, you you wouldn't choose the Tim Burton movies. I don't think. But you know, so. I'm biased because I fucking hate Tim Burton, and I think all of his movies are complete garbage. So <laughs> there is that. I don't know what episode I had that rant about Tim Burton, but fuck him and all his movies. It would be interesting to see somewhere in the middle between the two portrayals, kind of like the way the Joker's portrayed in the Arkham games. He's he's kind of half comic-y, but then it's got an overall tone of grit to it as well. Is that yeah, Mark Hamill's Joker? Yeah. Yeah, I I really like that actually as well. I, I, th- I think it might be hard to put that on screen now because it's so... Um, Villains on screen now tend to go one way or the other. Yeah. So I, I think a studio would be like reluctant to give it a try. But I really like that Joker actually. He does have a serious like dark edge to him, 
while maintaining the comic book wackiness, I think. In in, yeah. in probably the most not realistic way, but like true to the comic book way, actually. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think games can get away with that though, can't they? I think yeah, games can kind yeah. of you know. I don't think it's really worth discussing Jared Leto's Joker. I was just about to say I'm glad that we haven't even bothered. <laughs> no, let's, let's not go there today. I, I love so much that he was like... Uh, Jared Leto is such a fucking pretentious man. Like, But the way he's like, alright, I'm going to play the Joker. I, I got to get into character, send bullets, dead rats, used condoms, all these stuff to people. And then the movie comes out, it's like, yeah, you have 11 minutes of screen time. And... <laughs> Nobody cares. And then he he went crazy after, and he was like, "Oh man, my my Joker stuff is the best." <laughs> fuck off. Fuck you. Fuck Jared Leto. <laughs> there we go. It's done now. <laughs> <laughs> He's the real villain of the piece. <laughs> he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the best Joker moments are fucking. It's it's hard to even. Um, there's such a good catalog of great scenes in there. Um, I really really like the pencil trick scene in. The Dark Knight, because it reminds me so much of... I don't know if you guys have ever seen The Crow, but it's one of the greatest movies ever, I think. Um, but there's a scene in that where there's a guy that The Crow is going to kill next, and he's part of the bad guy, Top Dollar's team, and um, they're keeping him there as bait to lure The Crow in. And The Crow turns up when they're all sitting around a dinner table on Halloween, and uh, he pulls up a chair and then throws it away and then jumps up on the table sitting with his legs crossed and points at the bad guy and says I just want him but it really reminds me of how Heath Ledger enters the room in that scene and like he does point at the television at one point and says I know the squealers when I see them and then he points at the um, the guy who's on his way to Hong Kong but the obviously making the pencil disappear through a man's nostrils is pretty damn badass anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the, the chase sequence. The, like Most of it's shot in like IMAX, which is pretty cool, but the chase sequence where Batman's on the bike and the, like, the joke, or he's in, he starts off in the Batmobile and the Joker's on the lorry mm. and they chase each other underground and then it turns into the bike and then the Joker like stands in the road towards the end of it and like like Batman can't like run him down and he avoids him. Yeah. And like that's a, just an awesome fucking scene. It is, yeah. yeah. He's just like, come on, I want you to hit me. Yeah. That's the, the whole point of the Joker, though, is, is to try and get um, Batman, Batman to, to his level. One yeah. rule, yes, his yeah. one rule of killing. That's the whole point. That's the only reason Joker is Exists. really motivated to do yeah. anything. And I think that that's portrayed really well because it is a very human element, and that's what I like about Nolan's trilogy is, is it's very human. It's, it, there's no fantastical to it. There's no super. It's just all very grounded and very human. Yeah. And also, it's pretty obvious that they both want to fuck each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just thought I'd get that out there. Like, you know, we're not at that point in society yet, sadly, where two men who are in love with each other can admit that about themselves. But, you know, remake that movie in 20 years' time, and it's a romantic comedy about two guys. So, um <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things about the... Um, I can't remember the exact thing, but when the Joker's in that truck, um, it's it, it says something on the side of the truck, like it's a circus truck, but it says, like, laughter is the best medicine or something like that, and he's yeah. written an S in front of laughter, so it says slaughter is the best medicine. 
I, I, th- I think it's that line, or it might be Slaughterhouse or something like that, but just such a neat thing for him to be like, yeah, well, I'm meticulous at planning everything and design- redesigning this truck <laughs> to show who I am. It's, yeah, but you can imagine him like being like, right, okay, before we go, lads, and like gets his spray can out and just like puts this, like, the, the little bit on there, and he's like, no, we can go now, and then just like... Oh. Yeah, there there is actually, if I could say one positive thing about Jared Leto's Joker, it's that there is a scene, I think it's it might be his first scene in the Suicide Squad movie, where he's in that room and he lies back and you can see that he has all of his knives and swords and baby dolls and all that stuff organized in, like, order of size and deadliness. Yeah. And that is like the only time in the mess of a film that is Suicide Squad that they could point out how pragmatic and organized that the Joker is. I, almost to a point like of obsession because everything yeah. he does is so uh, well planned. Like the fact that all of his clothes are like custom made and there's no tags on anything, like he has no background as such and even the fact that he tells a different story for how he got those scars and stuff like that. It's very I don't know, it's 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 very well planned to the point of, like, he's quite clearly an obsessed psychopath type guy. Pretty damn cool. Mm, yeah. Um, he is one of the greatest movie villains, if not, but, like, better than Vader, maybe. Because Vader has a backstory, like, we don't really know the Joker, but he just is a villain, you know what I mean? Yeah, um... I wonder if they ever will make a movie that goes into the Joker's backstory. I, I don't even think I'd want to see it, almost. No. I think it, it breaks down the character too much, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, it would have that scene of him winning a pod race, you know, age nine. Yeah. Um, and that's just not <laughs> necessary, I don't think. Yeah. They do that with all villains in there. Yeah, I, I think Travis Bickle. <laughs> yeah. That's how he knew he wanted to be a professional driver of some description. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add on the Joker? No, I think we covered All right. Um, Simon, you want to go next with a villain of your choosing? Uh, well, seeing as we're getting the big guns out of the way, I'm going to throw Alien in there. Oh, nice, yeah. Alien is a uh, great one. Yeah, just for me, like obviously H.R. Geiger is probably the founder of, of villains for me, really? uh, especially the, the kind of the more monster type. Um, I don't know if either of you have ever seen the documentary Judorowski's Dune. I haven't. No. no. It's basically there was a crazy, crazy guy called Judorowski, and he was. Oh, I'm getting lost on myself here. I can't even read my notes. <laughs> um, he wanted to make a, a movie adaptation of Dune. And he gathered creative talent from all over the world to create it. But his his kind of vision and his scope went way beyond what was possible at the time. I did um, actually see that. That's the French guy, or yeah, 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 yeah. I have seen that. Yeah, and he he has all of these um, really like visual concepts drawn out. Yeah, he has yeah. he has pretty much the whole thing planned out meticulously from start to finish. But nobody will back it and nobody will fund it, just because it's too grand. But um, H.R. Geiger was originally picked up by Jodorowsky, um, and it was, I believe it was the special effects artist that worked on Alien that remembered the work he did on Dune with Geiger and invited Geiger over to show his concepts to the Alien guys, um, uh, which was all work that he did based around Dune. So that's how Alien was born, really. It was a failed concept that, that got dragged over to Alien, and then now 
aliens what we recognise of, of Geiger and his work and the hell. birthplace of but yeah for me Alien was just terrifying absolutely god ball shakingly terrifying <laughs> I, I'm sweating now just thinking about <laughs> those big double pronged teeth and that big jaw just like hanging over and slobbering all over you like I don't know if I'm aroused or scared. But I'm <laughs> it. it is actually it does it does play into sort of that a lot of alien related fiction does play into some weird sexual fear for men. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that when it was originally being written, like that was the concept. They they wanted the kind of whole idea of homosexual rape yeah, to be yeah. in there to kind of make the male audiences feel more uncomfortable than they that they already would. Yeah. It's such um, a fucking like man thing to do. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen? And then uh, they they kind of wanted the alien concept to be genderless as well, so that it it kind of sits with within that kind of sexual duality, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I haven't seen Alien in like ten years, so I really am due a rewatch of it because I can't remember like the finer um, plot points and stuff that I usually would with the movie. You know, like you'll you'll maintain. Or you'll retain a lot of information about a movie within the first few years, but then ten years is too long of a time to properly comment on it. Yeah, yeah. I cannot believe, just thinking back on it, that that movie was made in the 70s, because it's insanely ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. well ahead of its time. Just an unbelievable triumph for science fiction. Like, there's a there's a, a few of those movies that do stand the test of time, but I, I don't know that any of them do it as finely as Alien does. It's just really fucking good and solid and, like, still holds up, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, when was Aliens made? The uh, 1986, I think. Well, yeah, the original Alien was 79. I can't yeah, how yeah. long followed um, up. I think Aliens was 86, and then the third one was 1991 or 1992, and David Fincher directed the third one, which is really weird to think about, because it's not very yeah. good, and he is one of the greats. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and it's not very David Fincher-y. No, it's not at all. I, I think it's one of those cases, though, where, like what they're doing now in Hollywood, where they're getting all these indie directors and giving them the keys to, like... Like Jurassic major franchises, yeah. Yeah, like there's no way that they're not telling them everything that they have to do in order to please the audience. Like, yeah, you have to reference the old movie at least 22 times in the first minute, just so everyone knows <laughs> that they're watching a Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, Alien is just phenomenal. I, I'm actually going to watch Alien tonight. I think. Um, I, like I've been thinking about it because we actually talked about it in the last podcast as well that I did and. It's surprisingly relevant in that I find myself talking about it for two episodes in a row. It's one of those things yeah. that I definitely have to go and watch. Um, Do you think it's uh, better than Alien? I mean, they're different movies, aren't they? One's like basically a horror movie, and the other's an action movie, essentially, isn't it? So I haven't seen the second one. Um, like I saw it when I think even before I saw the first one, and I can't remember pretty much any of it, so I'm not gonna comment. What do you think, Simon? It'll always be the first for me, I think. Just just the birth of the concept. I yeah. think for most trilogies, the, the first is, is mainly the strongest. Yeah. The birth of the concept. I, I, for me, it's weird because both um, the Alien uh, movies and Terminator, I prefer the second movie 
And Star Wars yeah. too, actually. Empire and Star Wars, yeah. yeah. But um, um, yeah, Terminator Two is sort of a special kind of sequel, I think. Like, there's it just. It I think just... that's the same for me. It's Terminator and Aliens is the same a little bit. Like Terminator Two takes the franchise in a different place than the original Terminator again, because Terminator One was kind of a horror movie, like a guy, oh, a yeah. robot from you know chasing a woman, and then the second one is like an amazing action movie. Um, and that's the same for Alien or Aliens. It's the same sort of concept, really. But, um, yeah. It's does it annoy anybody else that they just called it Aliens instead of Alien Two? <laughs> like it's you just add an S on it. Like that's it, just really weird to me. Well, I mean, there are aliens in. I mean, there's more aliens than aliens. <laughs> yeah, true. I so, suppose. I mean... <laughs> the movie is just. It, it has to be a one-word description of the villains in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't really get away with that these days. No, yeah. definitely not. But I was I was uh, talking to one of my friends about this recently, and we were talking about how it's interesting that movies nowadays don't call themselves movie title two, a good day to movie title. You know what I mean? Like they don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like it's just called something else. like the Jack Reacher thing. Like I saw the trailer for the new Jack Reacher movie, and I was like, I thought they released that like years ago. And then I googled it, and it turned out it was the sequel. And I was like, "Why didn't they just call it Jack Reacher too? Like, who would be harmed because of that? Like, why are they not doing that?" It, well, the Mission Impossible movies have started, haven't they? Like, uh, Mission Impossible Four was called Ghost Protocol. Yeah, and Rogue and the, Nation. And Rogue Nation, yeah. So. Yeah, whereas the second one is just quite simply called Two Mission Two Impossible. So exactly. I don't exactly. know why they didn't just keep going in that trend. Yeah. Um. To move on from Alien, I actually want to talk about Predator, which it segues pretty nicely because they're both science fiction movies from the past that stand the test of time amazingly well. And, and they fight each other in Alien versus Predator. <laughs> Has anyone seen that? I haven't seen that. I, I refuse to. I refuse to. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it today, and I was like, should I watch that? And then I thought, no, because fuck everything about that. <laughs> what? Funnily enough... There is a comic book, uh, Alien vs. Predator vs. Terminator, which kind of ties together all we've been talking about. Wow. You're making, like, to, to accept that as canon in all of those universes, you basically change the concept of all of the movies. Like, yeah. Terminator 2 happens not only because robots take over the world, but also because there's aliens out there, and that's just... <laughs> I think it, it's taken it, like, a step way too far, but, um... That's cool, if that's what people want to imagine. I can't comment on fan fiction. Well, I fucking can, but I, I won't. But, um, yeah, Predator is so cool. Uh, the the villain in that is just one of the most badass sort of alien species, and it doesn't look overly human. I mean, it does walk like a human in that sense, but um, it's got dreadlocks, so it looks like a badass urban human. So that's pretty cool. um, and that's scary in itself you know? yeah that's terrifying that's the scariest thing about the whole movie is that yeah the dreadlocks yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um the way he keeps like he rips the spine out of his victims and keeps the skulls as trophies and stuff like that like yeah. that's so fucking cool and just the word predator like so perfectly associates itself with the type of villain that it is it's just one of those things that's so perfect and it all fits together really well and uh, the thermal vision thing obviously makes him such a good hunter and stuff and it's really neat the way 
like Arnold Schwarzenegger figured out a way around that and stuff and just was determined to not die and all that. Like, pretty damn awesome movie all around, I think. Was Predator before Terminator 2? Um, Terminator 2 was 91, I think. Yeah, no, so no, it wouldn't A little be. bit earlier than that. Yeah, Terminator mm. 2 was 91. I'm not actually sure when Predator was. I'm, I've got a feeling Predator was like 87 or 88. I or think like so, that. yeah, because Predator 2 was 94 or something like that. I may be wrong, I'm not sure. Right. Um, if you try and think of a point in time where dreadlocks would have been the scariest thing, um, and that's when the movie came out. I guess. Mm, yeah, I'm going with 87. <laughs> yeah. It's 88, Predator came out. Oh, oh wow. You're so close, Lucemore. I know, right? <laughs> that was the year I was born. Oh, wow. Same. That's freaky. You were both born in the year of the Predator, and you, you're only telling me this now? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're in trouble. We should have brought this up way sooner. God damn. I did, the thing I liked about the Predator was how grounded in the place they seem, because everybody throughout that film sweats constantly. Yeah. yeah. They're just mm. all glistening like they're oiled up, but clearly they're in a rainforest, so they're always wet and sweaty. And I think that's the most beautiful thing for me. The most beautiful thing is... Yeah, I only said it in the last episode I recorded about the really weird scene at the start where Arnold Schwarzenegger meets the other big badass muscly guy and they both, again, clearly want to fuck each other for the entire scene and then they, like, shake hands but they're not actually shaking hands, they're showing how strong they are and it's very odd and very masculine and just to watch that back is probably the strangest thing about a movie (laughs) where a predator creature comes to earth with a self-destruct mechanism and the capacity to rip the spines out of humans so uh strange is it really explained why he he comes to earth i can't really remember i haven't watched predator in like a few years does it they don't really explain why he's landed in a rainforest do they i think it was to steal the plans for the death star yeah, no, it's all coming back to me now. Unless yeah. I've mixed up my sci-fi movies, I'm pretty sure that it's about stealing the plans from the Death Star. Oh, he won! He won! A, he won the pod race, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He won. Yeah, he won his pod race. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say there about Predator? Actually, um, yeah. So, did anyone see Predators, the most recent one? <laughs> Did that? Who did that have? It had in Forrest... I think it had Forrest Whitaker, didn't Not Forrest Whitaker. Another black guy. Wow. Whose, whose name I can't remember. Was it I'm just Samuel go with L. Jackson? Morgan. No, I was just going to yeah, go with Morgan Freeman. No, um... What was his, what's his Lawrence name? Lawrence Fishburne. That's Lawrence Fishburne, that's the but one. But even more bizarrely, it had Adrian Brody in it. Really? Yeah. I think it did, yeah. That's really yeah, he's weird. not he's not an action hero at all, really. No, is he? no, he's not. He's like the most human guy ever in the world. Like, <laughs> he doesn't belong in that. Like, I I think in the Predator universe, a guy like Adrian Brody just doesn't exist. No, <laughs> he doesn't have muscles or you know sweat dripping off him or anything. Like yeah. that. He doesn't sweat. That's the weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that film was a thing. I must have missed that one. It's got really? Danny Trey. As well, isn't it? It came out like quite recently, like last five years, I think. Twenty ten, I think it was. It's yeah. basically kind of like a remake of the original one. But they're on more. they're on the Predator's planet, aren't they? Yeah, but it kind of hits the same beats as the, as oh, the okay. first. Yeah. You know, 
they all get slaughtered and then one is remaining and you know so um i'm trying to think of my next sci-fi alien villain to to segue into and i don't think i have one do you have any loose more uh alien villain um superman (laughs) well yeah we could go like general zod but like he's not a particularly good villain i well i don't think anyway like he's just he has the same powers as superman so that's not really yeah i think that's my least favorite thing in movies where the villain is just the good guy except bad like there's, there's no like dynamic there or anything it's just Oh yeah, this guy is also Superman. He just is called General Zod and looks different. <laughs> yeah. Do the exact same shit. Well, I mean, do we go like monsters? I, I, I mean, I mean, are monsters particularly villainous, like Godzilla or anything like that? Well, Godzilla is um, the protector. Um, yeah, true. And the greatest damn protector we've ever had. Am I right? Yeah. Give yeah. it up for Godzilla, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, so. Maybe Agent Smith from the Matrix universe. Yeah. Because he is... Segways nicely with sci-fi. Yeah, and just has kind of no grounds in reality and is presented as this sort of generic-looking CIA operative type guy. I mean, the fact that he's called Agent Smith and he's just a bunch of computer codes... Like, where does the agent aspect of his name even come into, apart from the way that he's dressed? It kind of taps into that weird sort of, like, phobia we have of, like, governments and... Yeah, yeah, men and suits. ...duties and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. What what were you going to say, Simon? I can't remember now. Um, (laughs) I think he's very much typically what you'd expect if you ran some code through a computer and said, look, come up with something a human would fear, like, on a human level, then he, he definitely fits those kind of archetypes. He's nameless, he's... He's faceless, pretty much, in the first film. Yeah, until yeah. he kind of develops his character further on, but... to, to the point where there are millions of him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> classic human traits—the <laughs> ability yeah. to self-replicate. Um... That's what I think is really interesting about him. Actually, is, is the whole kind of the, the trilogy. He's he struggles to understand humanity and the way they think and the way they feel. Yeah. But the further we go on through the films, the more he starts to kind of replicate human traits. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Hugo Weaving is fucking awesome, by the way, as a side note. But, um, yeah, Agent Smith in the first Matrix, when he starts chasing Keanu Reeves through the cubicle and all, and you don't really fully understand what he is at that point. You just think that he is some kind of government official that's mad at Neo because he's a cool hacker guy who has floppy disks. Um, But when he takes him into the room and he just says... Well, how can you participate in a dick-waving contest if you have no dick? Um, <laughs> and then Keanu Reeves looks down, and sure enough, he has no dick. Um, that's really <laughs> not what happened. <laughs> but um, when they put that bug thing into his belly button, um, I don't know about you guys or any other human, because I've never relayed this uh, source of discomfort before, but I really fucking hate when anything goes near my belly button. Like, it's incredibly sensitive. Um, so that scene freaked the fucking shit out of me <laughs> for like 20 years in fact it, it hasn't even been 20 years since the movie came out that's how freaky it was I still have 3 years left <laughs> <laughs> before you can fully yeah, yeah 3 years up. of residual belly button pain yeah. as a result of that movie but um, yeah just the fact that uh, what I was really getting at there 
was uh, the fact that Agent Smith has that power over Neo. Um, immediately, like from the start, he's like, yeah, I give you no mouth and I also put weird insects into your belly button. That's a real fucking testament to a, a guy's power in such an early stage of the movie. Like, so you have full-on reason to fear him every time he's around from then on out. And also he can dodge bullets, so <laughs> you're pretty much fucked. <laughs> Do we have anything else to even say about him? I guess he's very generic. At the end of the movie when he's like, what does he say? Like, you humans are like a virus or something like that. Um, yeah. What he says there actually made me think about like how uh, a highly intelligent, like advanced civilization might actually think of humans because of our tendency to like colonize and conquer and spread out and stuff like that. It is very viral. Like if you drop food on the ground, it's covered in germs immediately. Like yeah. it, to a highly advanced civilization, that could very well be what they think of humanity. They're like, look at these cunts spreading across this planet. So. Um, yeah, that's pretty much that. Well done, Agent Smith, on all of your hard work. Um, <laughs> Good job, buddy. Yeah, great, great work. Um, so, uh, keeping with that sort of type of movie, uh, has anyone seen Blade Runner? Yeah. What do you make sure. of that movie out of interest? I I actually love Blade Runner. Like it's uh, like the whole android concept and like consciousness and all that stuff is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Roger Hauer, like, is it's it, he's weirdly like engaging in the role, um, but like, um, it's it's a it's a kind of like a weird offbeat. It's one of my favorite movies, but it's a it's something you can't really like. Oh, I'll pop on Blade Runner and watch that. If it's a, it's a weird sort of dark. You have to be in a certain place, I think, to watch Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, the yeah. um the guy uh, <clears throat> Roger Hauer plays Roy Batty. Um. He, that is who he plays, isn't it? That's the guy's name. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, I think he's really fascinating because he's a lunatic, like, hell-bent on causing destruction out in, out in the colonies and stuff like that. But at the same time, he shows, I won't say exactly what happens, but he does show he has a large capacity for empathy, which is something that we consider to be a very human thing, and it's kind of made clear in the movie that he's not exactly human. No. Um, and also, he says one of the most fucking profoundly cool lines in cinema history about this will all be lost like tears and rain. It's just yeah, yeah, very neat. But I don't know what I make of Blade Runner to be honest. I watched it and I was like, this is all very odd. It's sort of like a noir detective type thing. Oh, it is. It plays up as a very sort of like um, nineteen. 19- 30s sort of detective noir movie it's set like in the future you know yeah, what i mean yeah uh, but well, yeah I, I do like it yeah have you seen it simon i've only seen the remake uh yeah, there's not been a remake yeah Is there not? well there's no, been um they made like an extended edition or something where well, director's cut yeah there's narration what, what, in it or something what am i thinking of i don't know what i'm thinking of it's got Harrison Ford in it. I I, I know the original, but the, I've not seen it. I'm, oh, okay. The one I'm thinking of has got an Irish guy in it. Oh, the, Total Recall. Oh, you mean, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Farrell. Way off the board. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, Blade Runner is just... I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I like it or not. And I... 
I find the world they built in it very captivating because I love futuristic stuff. But meh, I could take it or leave it. I think. Um, what was I gonna segue into from Blade Runner? I don't remember. Should we talk about Magneto in X Men? Yeah, go go more comic book villain. Yeah. Um, I think he's absolutely awesome. Um. The dynamic between Magneto and Professor Xavier is, like, one of the most interesting hero-villain dynamics out of any universe. Like, I think it's far more fascinating than Luke and Darth Vader having the father-son relationship because it's... There's so much more to it. Like, it's these two guys who both share a common vision, but the paths they choose to try and fulfill it are the opposites, and that's really, like... I don't know, just profoundly interesting, I think. And the way that they've gone back to X-Men First Class and had James McAvoy and um, Michael Fast Bicycle with their... <laughs> the way they match up against each other. Like, in their early days, there's so much kind of respect and... it. I don't know. Admiration, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, you can sympathize with both of them, too. And that's what makes it so good. And I can't think of two better people to play either of them than uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Like, that, I think that's awesome, awesome, awesome casting. And in, is it X-Men 2 when um, Magneto kind of joins up with the good guys? And the way they work together and stuff like that, in spite of the fact that you know Magneto is evil and he doesn't really care because his vision of the future is one where mutants are above everyone else, whereas Xavier yeah. wants mutants to be part of everyone else. It's just, I don't know, it, it's really, really cool, and I, it never escapes me every time I watch an X-Men movie that their relationship is just very different to anything I've seen in any other movie before. Uh, I do think X-Men, more so than any comic book, taps into, like, oppression and, like, those type of thing, those type of themes more than most comic books. Yeah, um, it's an allegory for gay rights and stuff like that, too. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do love those movies, like, uh, like not so much so more recently, um, but, like, with the spin-offs and the, X, the Wolverine movies and stuff, but, yeah, yeah. the first the first X-Men, X-Men 1 and X-Men 2 were really good. Um yeah, the third yeah, one. Yeah, first class was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Days of Ellen Page was really good as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there, I haven't seen Apocalypse, actually, but it's I see it's been slammed by the critics. It's okay. It's not It's not great, but it's not terrible. It's um, got Oscar there was, Isaac. There was worse it. movies out you know, last year. So. Yeah, and one of them was Suicide Squad. Oh, wait, no, that was this year. Never mind. Um... Fox I think no, Apocalypse was this year as well. No, yeah, sorry, this year. There's, I meant this year, and so I was actually genuinely thinking of like Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, but yeah. And the fucking that Captain America thing. Although I heard that was actually good. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I'm so sick of superhero stuff. Um, in in their traditional sort of form. I I really like X Men though because. It, in Days of uh, Future Past, the way they managed all of those big characters on screen, like, anytime you see a movie with an amazing cast, it's always a bad movie because they have a hard time bouncing around the characters well enough 
But um, the way they did that in Days of Future Past was fucking awesome. And also, the way that movie pretty much erased the entire history of all the movies before it is like such a really cool thing to do because now they can go back and make even more amazing movies. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Simon, about Magneto? No, no, I agree with you, to be fair. I do, I do like him. In the prequels probably more than the, the original X-Men movies. I definitely warm to those a lot more. Yeah, I think it's better because it it does, it, like that's actually one of the villains you could revisit the backstory of and find it to be like pretty important and significant because there's so much more to him than just being an evil man. Whereas, yeah, you like, almost feel sorry for him. Yeah, you of. do. Like, yeah, he is like a, a he is a huge source of sympathy and stuff like that because y- you can imagine if you were in his position, why wouldn't you feel like that? Yeah, I mean, well, they, they, if you've seen Deadpool, like, they talk about to get your mutant powers, just you, you need to be exposed to, like, the worst imaginable thing kind of thing. Um, and in, in the, and they explain, like, in the first X-Men movie, like, he, like, he gets his powers almost, like, the first time he uses them, obviously, is when his, like, mother's being dragged away to the concentration camp, and he, like, breaks that gate open with his, like, his magnetic powers. Um, <laughs> and, and at that point, you're like, wow, that's, like, the most horrifying thing in the world, you know, and then you kind of have, for the rest of the time, even though he's, like, killing people and, like, breaking up bridges and, like, um, <laughs> everything, like, you kind of still feel, well, you know, I mean, he's got some problems, but, I mean, he's a good guy deep down, I think. Yeah, you know. <laughs> he's a good lad. Yeah. He, he means well. Yeah, exactly. Can always take comfort in the fact that he means well. Yeah. Um, did you know that Deadpool breaks the fourth wall? I did not. I don't think they explain that. Yeah. I don't, I, no one ever yeah. talks about that. They're always no. like, "Oh, this is a this is the same type of superhero as all the other ones." Mm. But um, yeah, <laughs> I haven't even seen that. Fuck that movie as well. I know it's like the best movie ever, but I genuinely do love it. But that that actually suffers from having like a pretty bad villain. It's like the villain isn't very good. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. Um. So who wants to go next? If we're sticking with comic books, it might be a bit abstract in the comic book concept, but uh, Mr. Glass from Unbreakable. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I just like how throughout the whole film, obviously, it's the traditional kind of three-part story arc of a comic book, the film is. Um, So you get the origin, and then you get the antagonization, then you get the resolution. But it's, it's good to see Samuel L. Jackson's character just constantly vying for David's attention and then at the end it's kind of revealed that he set up all these kind of tragic circumstances around David to test his abilities Yeah, I think that's just a really really clever way of playing it when you see this vulnerable man in a wheelchair but then you realise the whole time he's he's been behind all the, the trauma that the lead has gone through I, I think genuinely they, think M. Night Shyamalan is a fantastic director I think that's pro- for me that's his, his best film for, for me, it's Signs, but Signs is like in my top ten favorite movies of all time. So that terrifies me. I can't watch it. Yeah, it, it's so terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's a, such a great movie. But uh, Unbreakable is also really good. Back when like M Night Shyamalan was on a roll at that time, and I think yeah. Unbreakable kind of um, was was like a really good like pinpoint moment in that sort of run of form that he had. But it is such a good movie, and I think. It's really strange that it 
has such a relatively low critic score because it's such a satisfying movie and it's pieced together so well. Like you would yeah. think that that's the type of thing that uh, critics would actually really respect and appreciate. But I think his his loss of favor in the public eye has probably led to that. Like I I I think it's it's more of a a, a, um, a view with hindsight. In that movie, I don't think it's an honest sort of... It has, like, a 60% meta score. Like, I, I think it should have, like, a 75, 80, because it's just such a nicely made movie. And, it, I mean, there's really not, like, faults in it or anything like that. No, it's definitely turned into a bit of a cult classic, and there are a lot of circles that kind of rank it in their top 10 superhero films. Definitely. Yeah, I wonder actually if it came out nowadays amidst all of the traditional and typical and the smile and wink at the camera while embodying all the cliches of superhero comic books and stuff. I think if that movie came out now, it would actually have like a 100% Rotten Tomatoes score straight away. And like, that's not me being biased towards the movie. I just genuinely think that that interpretation of comic book, like, you know, superheroes and stuff would really, really have a lot of weight behind it if it came out now. Yeah. No, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Um, I think on a similar vein of like, um, someone you don't realise is a villain until the very end, uh, like Kaiser Soze from um, The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Like they build up Kevin Spacey's character as being like this sort of like lost character. Like they don't really like he's like you're supposed to feel sympathy for him and like he's the one explaining the story and then obviously at the end, spoiler alert, um, he's like the the despicable character they've been describing the whole time. But yeah. um. Yeah, yeah. It, it turns out that he's Chaz Pilmentary's dad the whole time. Um, yeah, Chaz, and he won. He won a pod race at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Chaz Pilmentary has to be the absolute worst police officer of all time in that movie, because like yeah. everything that uh, Kaiser Soze says to him in the room is just stuff that's in the room. Like there's like a, a poster yeah. behind him that says like red deer or something and Kaiser Soze is like yeah somewhere off red deer avenue <laughs> like yeah it's so like just how the guy, the guy is his, 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 his office like it's he's in his office like yeah. how he doesn't know what's on the walls yeah he's like wait a minute he's describing my wife and child <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fucking abysmal detective work but yeah, it's, it's it's a testament to how well made the movie is that you don't think about that until like the fifth rewatch of it. Yeah, um, exactly. It is such a great movie, and he is a great villain as well. Because I was so convinced the whole way through it that Kaiser Soze was um, Gabriel Byrne's character. Yeah, me too. Like, yeah. I, it just it just made the most amount of sense to me. because I'd seen uh, Miller's Crossing as well, and Gabriel Byrne is in that, and just from that you kind of have well, he has the capacity to be this sort of mob boss guy because it's almost pointing you you know there's a twist coming because it's almost pointing you in direction of there's going to be a twist and it's going to be the one character you probably don't think about but you never think about it being kevin spacey's character really so yeah 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 it's great um i guess uh, along the lines of that kind of movie uh, hans gruber from die hard is pretty damn great yeah he's the more traditional I mean, a German villain. Good lord. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's a more like a, a terrorist, you know, and a, and he's German. Yeah. 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 But yeah, he, he's the ultimate sort of like action villain, really, isn't he? Yeah, and, and it's it, it it works very well because historically Germans have been very well behaved 
So like there's yes. no there's no For real world example. example of German villains, so No. It's yeah, very good. <laughs> um yeah, Hans Gruber is great. And I think him and uh Norman Stansfield from if you guys have seen Leon, uh Gary yeah. Oldman, they both yeah. have this sort of it, it like it's interesting in the early 90s, I think action movie villains tended to be these really sophisticated white guys who you knew that they were intelligent because they listened to classical music so yeah if they if they played beethoven then definitely they were evil yeah Yeah. uh, but also intelligent because only intelligent people listen to classical music exactly but yeah those like alan rickman like um gary oldman and who was the guy who uh in die hard three what's the actor's name the villain Jeremy Irons, yeah, just the ultimate... In the 90s, they were, like, the ultimate go-to Hollywood villains, you know? Yeah. It was great. Like, there's not even a whole lot of depth to them, to be honest. They're just smart guys who want to do evil things because they have the brain power to do it. Yeah. But I think Hans Gruber's plan was fucking ridiculous. Like, how did he expect to not get caught? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah, but his whole plan was like he'd be sitting on the beach making twenty percent. So I mean, I mean that's his plan. I mean it's flawless. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you get away with it. You sit on the beach making twenty percent. So okay, <laughs> so, but um, yeah, he wasn't to know that there would be a cop in the building. Yeah, you, know, you don't plan. Stuff. <laughs> It'd be great if Bruce Willis just didn't do anything for the whole movie. Like he just. <laughs> Stayed in the vents yeah. waiting for like oh I'm gonna surprise my wife but god damn it this fucking guy all right I'll wait for them to be done with their terror plans and then I'll go talk to my wife yeah that would have been like, I'm pretty sure had he not done anything there wouldn't have been that many deaths like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, caused, he caused a lot of deaths to be honest he did like up until Bruce Willis appeared like Alan Rick like. Hans Gruber didn't kill anybody, or did he kill? He may have killed like a security guard or something. But like they don't count. No, they don't count. Yeah. yeah. Fuck law enforcement officials. <laughs> Coming straight from the underground. But um, yeah, is is there anything to even add about those types of characters? They're sophisticated white guys who do badass things because they're so intelligent. Like that's what more can you actually ask for? True. Um. um. What about? Have you guys seen the Neverending Story? Yeah. So what about the nothing from the Neverending Story as as a villain? I mean, it's called the nothing. So what can you say about it? I understand, but <laughs> it is a force that destroys everything because people are becoming fucking drones and not using their imagination and stuff, and that's really fucking cool because like. There's a part at the end where Falcor and Atreyu are flying through space and all that's left of the world is like rocks because people's lack of imagination has led to the nothing tearing through the world and destroying it. That's a fucking terrifying concept. Because like, to, to set up a set of circumstances where you might be affected by that, it's just everyone around you losing the capacity for imagination and you having to suffer because of it. Like, there's something in there about that. It's definitely from the point of view of, like, that lost kid in um in the in the school who's reading the story instead of going to class. 
but um you know because he feels different and separated to everyone else in the class and that he thinks on a higher like intellectual level than they do so he is better than them or whatever but just as a concept i think it's fucking amazing and like it's terrifying i mean but i think as you appreciate it more as an adult like if you look into it like the nothing like as a concept but as a child it's terrifying because it's like it's the bad guy in a in a, in a children's movie but like I just think it's like as an adult, you like somehow appreciate it more, you know, like the if you, you know. Yeah, like I, I've seen that movie twenty times um, as a kid, and I rewatched it last year, and it was only last year that I was like, ah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the swamps of sadness is a metaphor yeah. for depression. Now I understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I did not get that before at all. That went way over my head. <laughs> It's kind of another one of those timeless social commentaries, isn't it? You can kind of yeah. bring it back to modern times and it'd be an accurate representation of how people are. Yeah, completely, yeah. Because, like, bullying still exists and, and any any person that's, like, a fringe-type person, like, they don't really slot into society very well. So they're always going to have... You know, like, those, type, those types of people are capable of producing like amazing story like books and movies and stuff like that so um they're always there and they are always represented in fiction and they're so relatable because i think i think anyone who is the type of person who would go on a podcast has probably felt at some point in their life like alienated from society in some way or like (laughs) you know what i mean like it's like I, I'm trying to track us down, down for cool people. <laughs> I'm fucking made a podcast. How do you think I feel about myself? But you know what I mean. Like obviously, if if you have the like desire to to talk to thousands of people on the internet about your feelings and stuff, there's definitely like a level of introversion there where I don't know. You just you just know what it's like to be to feel not normal. I think. And I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> yeah, speak for yourself. I mean, both of you guys know that you're not normal, so... Well, I'm aware. Yeah, I've accepted it. <laughs> but being normal is boring, am I right? Yeah. It's people like us that stop the nothing from tearing through this world and ravaging yeah. Fantasia. With our cool imagination. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, the hunter in Bambi... What a well, he's just a, he's just a, he's just an asshole. I you don't even see him on screen. No, could actually very well be a woman that shot well. the deer. But um, Bambi is. I, I don't think it is with your views on feminism, clearly. But <laughs> well, women can kill deer too. <laughs> That's what this podcast needs to be called. Hashtag not all women, but hashtag some women probably do. Hashtag kill deer. Yeah. You don't, like, when you think of hunters, you just don't think of women. Isn't that weird? And yeah, like, because... On the provide. other side of the spectrum, though, when you think of pilots, you don't think of women. So, I don't know. There's a lesson in there, folks, possibly. But, um, <laughs> Bambi is a fuck... Like, have we all seen Bambi? Yes. yes. So I haven't seen like The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or any of these Disney movies and people always get really mad at me when I say that because that's like another thing about being a normal person is that you have to have seen all of these like Hallmark classics and stuff. 
And I don't know why I didn't watch the other Disney movies, but I have seen Bambi, and that tells me that I probably just didn't because Bambi was emotionally devastating for me. <laughs> and yeah. I just never bothered to check out the other and movies. And most Disney fo- movies follow that same blueprint of, like, kill off a good guy real early on, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know because I haven't seen them all, but <laughs> it sounds right. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, the fucking hunter in Bambi, I think the reason that it's so terrifying um, is that it just happens and it causes this devastation that is, I mean, it's palpable because everyone who watches Bambi cries when they watch it. But the fact that it causes so much devastation to things that aren't even human concepts, like it's just a thing that happens, it's part of life. Like, there are plenty of movies where the hunter or someone hunting things is the hero or, like, the good guy in the movie, and you never think about those consequences. I think it's like a metaphor for how you do things in your everyday life uh, that can unknowingly cause some kind of, like, you know, trauma or negativity or something like that. That's kind of what scares me the most about it, is that to the hunter, it's just, oh, well, I'm hunting stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly. Vote Donald Trump. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever <laughs> but it kind of, like it fucking ruins the world for these these little guys that just nobody cares about and that's absolutely devastating and terrifying yeah i think that's why it works because he's faceless you know? yeah yeah it's uh, gravity to you know the fact that there are so many faceless sort of like almost corporations as well causing devastation to people and so um but yeah but yeah, Disney movies in general, you could go like Scar from The Lion King, or like the the neighbor in like the neighbor kid in Toy Story. He was a, just a cunt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was a cunt with a face, though. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't <laughs> kind of face you wouldn't get tired of kicking. <laughs> um, I, I think yeah. Sid actually has probably got a devastating backstory because. They probably only watched Bambi when he was growing race. up. He did win a pod race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like, in Toy Story 3, it's made very clear that Sid is a garbage man. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But in cinema, you're sort of supposed to think that people who do those types of jobs are somehow beneath other people. Um, but there's a garbage man listening to music and he has Sid's t-shirt on so you're you're obviously supposed to know that it's Sid and that's what he became and lol at him but like he probably has seen some shit I mean what makes a kid dismantle toys and you know hurt them so much even though he didn't know that they were sentient beings that (laughs) (laughs) produced I'd just say he's very creative Yeah, yeah I mean when I was a kid I used to play with WWF action figures right and if someone got me one that I already had that didn't stop me from just painting them a different color or taking their head off and put it on someone else or like you know like it's how I managed to have like three different Triple H figures at one point and like one of them became Edge the other one became Christian possibly and then the other one was Triple H and it was great you, you get three guys out of <laughs> Like, that that's fun. And then I watched Toy Story, and then I realized that I was harming the things that I loved the most. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out I'm Sid the whole time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel bad for old Sid. Every time I watch Toy Story back, I'm always... Like, I have a little bit more empathy and understanding for him every time. Like, plus, 
okay, I think the real thing that made him become a garbage man is that he saw the toys rebel against him. And there is, if he wasn't fucked up before, yeah, definitely that will fuck a guy up. Yeah, that's true. Plus, I think just, I mean, uh, not to like back Sid here, because I, I started off by saying Sid was a, a real cunt, but like, <laughs> yeah. um, Andy's kind of boring as well, isn't he? A little bit, you know, he's, he's not straight, he's, isn't he? He's a bit straight, yeah. He's not really going outside much, you know. He's just, you know, room's always pretty tidy as well. His room, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck his tidy room. See, um, the thing about Andy is that his mum has no wedding ring. Um, the family photos, like, there's no dad in them, and it's pretty obvious that that's a household that's just gone through a bitter divorce. And uh, I think Andy's mum is like very protective of him, and I think just you know going through that probably put him into the mindset of someone who just wants to stay at home and play with their toys because that's the one thing that can't hurt them. Um, I'm very good at humanizing characters. <laughs> yeah. Deep. The one yeah. thing I don't get is in Toy Story 3, there's no toys that have got like a sticky wank sock stuck to the head. Of <laughs> like, this kid's supposed to be going off to college, but <laughs> there's, there's not a single tissue anyway. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what and he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean... And that's why it's not as good as the first two Toy Stories. <laughs> yeah, because no. those are just... There's a mountain of tissues is a character in the second Toy Story movie. That's, <laughs> that's really a weird thing no one talks about. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What a turn. <laughs> okay, I have a lot to think about. <laughs> um... Uh, do you, does anyone have another villain? I ha- I still have a couple, but I. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we, before the podcast, we we talked to each other a little bit. I mean, we try not to because that would like break the rule of podcasting. But um, yeah, we never we said, communicate outside no. of the podcast, so this no. is our only time to ever talk to one another. Yeah, um, but Tommy from Goodfellas. Is, yes, is one. Tommy DeVito played by Joe Pesci. Yeah, um, but then I I still don't think he's the villain. Yeah, okay. So what is a villain is probably something we should have asked at the very start of the show because on a black and white defining like characteristic of a villain, I don't think that Darth Vader fits into that because he saves the universe. Yeah. Um, he is the one who ultimately brings balance or yeah, supposed to. Yeah. As the prophecy foretold. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a nerd thing to say out loud. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, it's true. Uh, Tommy DeVito... Okay, so here's what I think the argument for him being a villain is that he is a constant fucking torn in the side of the other... They might be bad guys, but they're good fellas. <laughs> 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 um, like, they're just trying to have a poker game and Tommy's like, ah, you um, you mumbling, stuttering prick, yeah, hey, Spider, get me a drink, and then fucking kills him. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think because I mean they're all obviously, but Henry Hill is like the good guy. He's the he's the goodest fella. Yeah. Um. So on that basis, like he he is he's not because they're all meant to be like they're, they're best friends, but like he is the the worst of them. Which you know, um, I mean, is like maybe the greatest movie of all time, but 
Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, I I know yeah. the whole movie off by heart. That's how good it is. It's like three hours long. You know? But he's no worse than De Niro's character. Do you know what I mean? But like people often regard like Joe Pesci's character as being like. I I the... think he has a higher capacity for psychopathy or psychopathy. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce that out loud, to be honest. Um, but psychopathy. Yeah. Psychopathy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, he's much more heinous and trigger-happy, and those are traits that you associate with dangerous people, like Patrick Bateman. Um, yeah. Like, he definitely has this sort of cold... He, I don't think he's sorry for the things he does. He's not, yeah. Like, even the whole funny how scene, a person who does that just out of wanting to see the to fear make in the other, other man's one eyes. be uncomfortable, yeah. That's, I think that's an incredibly villainous trait, and I think that yeah. that shows a real darkness and <clears throat> unpredictable nature of his, um, like, just bad... Like, there's something in him that is just inherently bad, and it's not possible to... And they all have that capacity. Like, when they, um, when they fuck Billy Batts' life up, and they go yeah. to um, Tommy's mother's house to get the shovel, and then they just have dinner, and they're like, ah, what do you call that thing? Uh, the hoof, yeah, the hoof, yeah, the poor thing, he got his hoof stuck. And they all go along with it comfortably, like it's nothing. Yeah. But Tommy does that on a really amplified level. Like, he's just seriously fucked in the head, I think. Um, De Niro is calculated and calm. Uh, Henry is sort of vulnerable and greedy, but Tommy is just insane and maniacal i think yeah i also think that like because obviously like henry and uh what's joe Pesci's character called i can never remember tommy devito tommy that's it fucking tommy right so henry and tommy kind of like are the same age aren't they yeah yeah and and that's so, another uh just quickly before uh you go on one thing i really hate about joe Pesci's character is his inability to pronounce henry and even when they first meet when they're kids and uh, tommy's like how you doing henry <laughs> Henry, yeah. <laughs> that annoys me so much, but yeah, go on. <laughs> um, it's almost like they are kind of the opposite, you know, they kind of like, they're both like worked out on by like De Niro's character, um, they're groomed to become good fellas. Um, <laughs> and one goes in the slightly more, because obviously as the movie goes on and on, it's obvious that Henry is the one that will like fold under pressure because he almost like loves his family and stuff too much where it's quite clear that like joe pesci like doesn't really have a family or if he does it's not really his priority you know yeah i love the scene when uh henry stands karen up on the double date and she's just there crying and joe pesci is on the other side of the table with his girlfriend and he's got like his bib tucked in and he's like oh i tell you i'm just worried that there's not something wrong with him and he's just stuffing his face and he so clearly doesn't give a single shit fuck. yeah yeah <laughs> so good it's such a great movie have you seen goodfellas simon i have not oh wow you're missing oh. out man it's the great movie <laughs> and also told. sorry for that entire discussion <laughs> yeah. honestly i thought i was gonna fall asleep like not in a rude way but i was trying to keep up i was trying to read my notes and i'm just like i can't do this i'm falling asleep <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you want to get to your next villain? Um, yeah, I, I missed a couple of opportunities to segue earlier. Oh, shit. No, 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 it's cool. I got one, though. Uh, John Doe from Seven. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I I I don't think we should say who plays him though because that's a well no we've already spoiled the usual suspects actually. We've spoiled everything. Yeah, we (laughs) (laughs) we just spoiled Goodfellas. Yeah, everybody knows who wins the pod races for the next four four (laughs) years. So. Uh, yeah, Kevin Spacey and that is just oh, breathtakingly good performance. I think the whole film is is the perfect embodiment of film noir. Yeah. But just how emotionless Kevin Spacey is throughout the whole thing is just chilling. He's such a boat. good uh, candidate for that kind of character too, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. I think he won lots of pod races. That's how bad he is. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it is, it, there's like a scale of how evil a person is, and it's proportional to the number of pod races that they won as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> I think it comes back to that human element. I think you definitely see it through the breakdown of Brad Pitt's character and, and the the kind of oh shit, has the call dropped? I'm still here. Oh, <laughs> maybe someone fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Mid sentence. I lent on my mute button. I was on a route. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember. Can't we edit this together? Where we're like, yeah, no, that's really true. Like you just said <laughs> really something really profound. <laughs> I think I was saying that it comes down to the human element again, and uh, you definitely see that through the breakdown of Brad Pitt's character throughout. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, especially when he has a nice birthday present at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the, like, most fucking heinous things a person can do. <laughs> it doesn't really get more evil than that birthday present. But what do we think about the number seven being used instead of a V in the title of the movie Seven? I think it was sexy. <laughs> yeah, do we like do we like that? Like, too, like you, too Fast, Too Furious, sev, Seven, all that stuff? It's like... I think they're creative uses of it. Yeah, but it is. It is in seven, but too fast, too furious. That's that's very. To creative. be honest, I was a bit sad that it wasn't three, three fast, three furious, and then just continue on because everyone was banking on that. I make yeah. that joke like every single time I talk about the Fast and Furious universe, and like it, it's it's like it's not even funny, but in my head, that's the most hilarious thing a person can do is say yeah. four fast, four furious instead of the fourth Fast and Furious movie, and it's. Obviously, a play on how ridiculous Too Fast, Too Furious is as a title for a movie, but it's just, it gives me endless satisfaction to say yeah. Seven Fast, Seven I Furious. just like rereading, like, my favourite ever tweet that I've ever written is about Eight Fast, Eight Furious. Yes, it's a great tweet. <laughs> but, like, I just, I think it's like, I laugh at my own tweet. Like, that's how, like, it's not funny, really, but it's just. I laugh at every single one of my tweets. <laughs> I think that I am the funniest person in the world. Like, and it's mainly because I'm the only one who really gets my sense of humor. Like, I have like lots and lots of followers who repeat my jokes back to me, and we're all in on this in joke. But I have the sneaking suspicion that I'm the only person that finds any of it funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love my sense of humor because it's mine, and it's not entirely explainable to other people. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, how to segue from John Doe to how about Jack Torrance in The Shining? I was going to kind of segue in, segue into like another Brad Pitt movie, like Fight Fight Club. Like, is is Tyler Durden a bad guy? Like, you no, know, it's the same character, but like he's pretty a, a villainous character. 
I yeah. think he is a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, or we could just be like, the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. So maybe we don't talk about Fight Club, we just move on. Well, what's the second rule? The second rule is... Um, I don't know. Do you really not know what the second rule of Fight Club is? No. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the most iconic quotes in movie history. <laughs> Let me just Fight... Google Fight Club rules. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> That's genuinely what I'm doing. Oh my god, look. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you oh, do yeah, not sorry, talk, you about, talk Fight about Fight Club. Yeah, sorry. So my joke was going to be, what's the second rule? And then you were going to know what the second rule was. And I was going to be like, oh, yeah. well, that, that solidifies it. Then we don't talk about Fight Club. Right. But you yeah, robbed me. Your for a loop. You confuse me with your, <laughs> um, <laughs> your rules. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like... I don't know who you would clap. Maybe the villain. Like, there's a few villains in that movie, and one of them is his boss. Well, one of them is Meatloaf. Yeah, Meatloaf. Consumerism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, the the villains of Fight Club are really sort of nebulous concepts that to deconstruct you have to sort of start this analogy and like analysis of uh, society as a whole, um, and put it into the mold of a man who is seriously mentally ill. Yeah. I tell you who the main like illness is the the villain. No, in fact, the the way that the doctor like in the the very first scene in the movie or one of them is is Ed Norton going to the doctor and saying, "I can't sleep. Like, can you please give me some pills?" And the doctor goes, "Nah, you need healthy natural sleep," which is bollocks by the way like you can have a perfectly natural sleep on sleeping pills like just because it's something that's been induced by chemicals doesn't mean that the sleep you're getting isn't natural but anyway moving on from that the fact <laughs> that the doctor just like the, the guy goes like i'm depressed and the doctor's like no you're not you want to see depression go to the testicular cancer support group those people are sad like i don't think a doctor a guy who's fucking put 10,000 hours into understanding the workings of the human anatomy and brain and all of that should say, no, you're not depressed because there are people starving in Africa. <laughs> like, yeah. it's such a ridiculous thing for a doctor to say. He really, If he had gone to a different doctor, there would be no Fight Club movie and he wouldn't have had a mental <laughs> illness because another doctor would be like, doctor. Jesus Christ, man, please take these pills and report back to me within a month and tell me that your sleep has improved. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> Yeah, I just, yeah so that's the villain there, the shitty doctor. Yeah, shitty exactly. doctor. The, the, the American health system is the villain <laughs> yeah. of Fight Club. Oh yeah, and he paid for that as well, did? Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Um, so I have one that have you guys all seen Train Spotting? Oh, yeah. I haven't actually seen Train Spotting. No. Right. Well, it doesn't matter. You can spoil it for me. Uh, there's not a whole lot to spoil. Like, what? Just if you haven't seen it, there is heroin in it. I just straight up will will say that as a spoiler. Oh really? It's oh, not about me, spotting trains. So, yeah. um, but Begbie, uh, Robert Carlyle's character in Train Spotting, is sort of along the lines of Tommy DeVito in Goodfellas. Like, he just has that evil glint in his eye, uh, an enormous capacity for random violence, and just. One of those really insecure men who needs to show how manly he is by, you know, beating the shit out of people and stuff like that. 
he's a terrible. Yeah, I think character. that's that, that's a like this one of the scariest things about villains themselves that they're not always like the biggest guys. You know, what I mean, like yeah, all, they always portray in Hollywood like the the biggest guy is the hero and the villainous guy. Like the Joker isn't bigger than Batman. He's just scared. Like he's smaller, he's thinner, he's weedier. Like he's just more psychotic. I think most like villains are never like big, brutish guys. Are they? They're kind of like. Um, smaller, psychotic, you know, Travis Bickle wasn't, you know, but he was, not really a villain, but like, you know, um, I don't know, it's just weird that they've never really had that angle of like, because I guess you would use, a, a, if you was at a, a villain who was a giant guy, you would be more brutish and like, uh, physical, whereas most of the time villains are more psychological and impactful in that way. Yeah, like even like on a really simplistic level in Terminator 2, if you look at it on face value, Schwarzenegger should be annihilating that T-1000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but in real life, bad people are Brock Lesnar and they fuck you up. <laughs> and, <there's laughs> nothing you can do about it. and they punch you in the face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and guess what, folks? You can't humanize your bully or... You know, like like that doesn't happen in real life. Like, like the the like the worst thing that movies tell you is that like if you stand up to a bully, they'll you'll find out that they're afraid, and that's why they no, that's not fucking true at all. Not one single bit. If you stand up to a bully, you'll get fucking pounded to death. So don't don't stand up to your bullies. Yeah. Um, let them maintain superiority over you for your entire life. Later. Um. There's another thing that movie, yeah, the, the whole idea that um, people who are homophobic are really just closet gay people. That's the most ridiculous thing ever in the world. It's like saying that racists are just closet black people. Ridiculous. <laughs> well, when you put it like that, yeah. <laughs> I like to break everything down to racism. <laughs> racism is the real villain, am I right? Yeah. The one villain we haven't discussed. Race. Trump Pence 2016. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything to add on Begby, Simon? Uh, no. What about heroin? <laughs> <laughs> what a question. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta add a bit of sugar, and then you're alright. <laughs> Sweeten it up a little bit. Yeah, I'm more into meth myself, but heroin is also pretty good. Um. So, uh, have we all seen The Shining uh, to talk about Jack Torrance? No. Uh, no, I've never seen The Shining. Oh my god. I know. You guys need to skip that one. You guys need to watch movies. <laughs> that's that's all I have to, to add. Um, so, who wants to go with the next villain? Are you not going to talk about The Shining? No. <laughs> <laughs> do, you to tell, do you want me to edit this back out and I'll just say, yes, I've seen The Shining. And then <laughs> Well, it's just a man who, for reasons that are not entirely obvious, um, goes on a fucking mental binge of violence and destruction by losing complete grip of who he is, and it is really terrifying. But there's more to it than just him. There's the hotel itself, and the spirits or whatever is going on in there, Um there's also a river of blood that comes out of an elevator, which is pretty... Like, 
I just, I don't want to talk about The Shining with people who haven't seen The Shining. Just watch the damn movie, and the next episode will be all about The Shining. Okay. So, uh, I don't have any more left, but, um... I've got two more. Okay, let's go. Go for it. I've got Captain Hook from Hook. Oh, wow, yes. Nice. Dustin Dustin Hoffman playing the charming gentleman's pirate. He's trying to trick little Maggie into joining his side so he can get his hands on Peter Pan. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's brilliantly portrayed. Like, I think the stylization of the character is, is loosely based around Disney's adaptation of it, but uh, yeah. the character himself is... Yeah, Dustin Hoffman does a really, really good job. He does, yeah. He, he has that sort of goofy thing about him, but also yeah. a sort of an unpredictable edge of definitely a bad guy, but there's something weird and quirky and kind of almost magical about him. Yeah, I think it's one of those films that feels like a musical without any yes. musical. Song. Yeah, I always thought that. Yeah, yeah. completely. Watching yeah. it back. It's... Yeah. And then so there's not much else you can really say about that other than he was he was magical. He killed Rufio, and that's fucking out of order. Because when I was a kid, I thought, album, I, I thought Rufio was like the coolest guy in the world. Um, yeah. And when I watch it back now, I'm like, that guy's really fucking lame and pathetic. <laughs> he's, I think he still kind of looks like that now. I think he still does his hair like that. <laughs> really? Does yeah. he still dress like that? That's the real question. <laughs> I think he does. God damn it. He's sorted for life now. Yeah. Uh, and then my other one was uh, Simon Phoenix from Demolition Man. Oh, wow, I was really oh. hoping that we would talk about Demolition Man. Because what That's I was going to say, movie. we were talking about Blade Runner, and uh, the original plan for Blade Runner was that it would take place in a city that's a combination of Los Angeles and um, uh, San Francisco, and it was going to be called San Angeles, right? So they yeah. didn't do that, they went with something else. And the guy who made Demolition Man was like, alright, we'll call our city San Angeles, and it's fucking great and Demolition Man is just such a great 90s ridiculous it is, it is like I do like you I like those dystopian like future movies where like um, it's kind of has things that we know but also like it's it's you know the world's a little bit fucked up in the future yeah um, but yeah one of my favourite um, moments from Wesley Snipes in that movie what's it Simon Phoenix yeah, yeah. Um, is when he <laughs> He's like assembling his sort of, or putting his plans into place. And just in case you weren't aware that you were watching a movie in the future, that's set in the future, he goes, wait a minute, it's the future. Where's all them phaser guns? (laughs) 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 But the problem is, like, having, like, hating those, uh, sort of those movies, the wink at the camera, Demolition Man is very much... Like, Wesley Snipes winks at the camera constantly in that movie. <laughs> yeah, like, and, it's... like, even the part where they're like, oh, here's some music that you'll like, and uh, Sandra Bullock puts on fucking armoured hot dogs. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing work. But, um, but... that's a great movie. Like, it's so fun. There's so much rewatchability in it, too. And Wesley yeah. Snipes is absolutely class in it. Um, the way that he reprograms the ha- the lights in the house so that it's illuminate and deluminate. So it's 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 it it goes back to that sophisticated type of bad guy who is just a little bit more upper class than everyone else, and that points to his intelligence. 
I just read that it was meant meant to originally be John Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Oh my god! <laughs> Definitely oh, and the role of Simon Phoenix was also offered to Jackie Chan. Oh my god! <laughs> that would have been a much different movie. Yeah, it very was. different. Where's all them phaser kung fu kicks? <laughs> um, Dennis Leary is great in Demolition Man. He's... It's so weird because it's not one of those movies that's generally regarded as like a, a classic either. Like it doesn't. I don't think it's got like a particularly high score on like Rotten Tomatoes or like even on IMDb. But well, I mean, if you if you deconstruct it, it's it is a garbage movie. Like it is like a four out of ten movie. But it's <laughs> it's so fun. Like you know that I would give it a straight ten. Like it it hits so <laughs> many great points. Like there, there's so many ways that you can reference it in real life too like the tree seashells like how how do you use the tree seashells he doesn't even know how to use the tree seashells instead of yeah, toilet yeah. paper and like Sandra Bullock trying to talk like she's from Sylvester Stallone's time and just let's blow this guy <laughs> <laughs> away let's blow him away <laughs> you can take this job and shovel it Great movie. Um, I can't really remember a lot of Wesley Snipes' points in that movie, though. I don't have a strong recollection of the the villain. It, it's very early 90s, though. Yeah. That's that's safe to say. Do you like him because he has the same name as you, Simon? Yeah, there's that. and He always looks like he's dancing in that film. And, he know, does, I'm... yeah. He's got so much rhythm. Yeah, that's the way I am around the house. Like, <laughs> I can't wee into the toilet because I'm always too busy dancing. <laughs> he might, but he might come across like he has so much rhythm because like Stallone is so robotic in everything he does. But I don't know. <laughs> or maybe yeah. he has guilty feet. <laughs> what a what an amazing wham reference! <laughs> I nearly broke it to song then. <laughs> 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 it was definitely uh, cocaine era Wesley Snipes, and that it, we all know that that's the real reason for all yeah, this. definitely yeah. Um, he's in a movie called Undisputed, and like for the entire movie, he's just flicking his nose. <laughs> so, oh really? Yeah, it's so unsubtle. Um, <laughs> have you seen uh, Breaking Bad, Simon? I have. Yeah. How about Gus Fring? I think he's got some uh, stellar villain candidacy especially because he is sophisticated but he's also incredibly duplicitous and yeah yeah um uh he he's so good at plotting and do you know what i don't get about gus fring actually is so he runs the chicken chain he has 10 restaurants right that that must make dollar like he must be making bank on that um he drives a 10 year old volvo and lives in a nice house but not anything special per se and he does all of that so he can hide in plain sight what is he doing with the money from his drug empire Get, getting getting more drugs <laughs> I don't, I, that's a good point I don't know like um, maybe yeah. he just like really likes truffles and he, he only wants the biggest <laughs> that's never explained because yeah, he, he, he loves being in his kitchen doesn't he he, he does cook. yeah so yeah. maybe it's truffles. Maybe it's just all truffles and truffle oil. <laughs> yeah, it makes a good point. It yeah. is a good point, yeah. It's one that we can't deny. 
Um, well, I think there's no doubt that Gus, like, A, he won a podcast. I won a podcast. Won a <laughs> pod race. He won a podcast and a pod race. That's how evil he is. And and he definitely listens to Beethoven. And they're the two things we definitely know that villainous characters do. Yeah, he's amazing. So. But he... I, I, I know that when we do get into the Gus backstory, you can see that most of what he does is out of revenge and that he goes to see Hector Salamanca and looks him in the eye and says things like, I murdered your family and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So I I think a lot of what drives him is revenge and he wants to take over the, the drug empire in the entire um, the Southwest or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, and that I guess that is like important and that is an important part of his character arc. But still, I just want to know what he's doing with all the money. Because like, he, he constantly stresses that he has a business to run. And, and we know that he paid Walt $2.7 million a year. So it's he's clearly making bank. They, they, we know that they made over uh, $200 million per month um, in the drug trade. Because Jesse does the numbers at one point. And it's just not clear what Gus spends his money on. Like, there's no... Apart from the overheads we know of, there's just no major output. Like, what do you do with that money? He doesn't have, like, overly nice dress sense or, like, watches or anything. Like, he actually underspends for a restaurant owner, never mind a drug empire leader. I mean, you're staying on Breaking Bad. Do we think, like, the progression of Water White is, like, the greatest TV villain progression of, all, like, all time? Because he's definitely a villain, isn't it? Because Jesse, you could argue is also but like he's more of a good guy i don't he doesn't kill anyone does he jesse is yeah jesse does kill someone um we oh he hits the guy with the car he kills gail oh yeah um and he kills he kills um hector's nephew in mexico when they go down there yeah, but okay, but he doesn't do a lot of killing. No, um, but he's really, really bad, and we excuse yeah. it because he's good-looking and funny. But he went to a drug support group for for drug addicts and tried to sell them all meth. Yeah, he is true. a horrible person. He yeah, put his friends true. back on meth just so yeah. that he could have more control over them. He killed Jessica Jones as well. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he actually is awful. Like, he... Yeah. It's it sort of played out like, oh, he's a bad guy, but he's got a good moral compass. That's sort of Ryan Gosling thing. But he's actually really inherently bad. Like, he just straight up is. He's a bad person. And he's definitely in jail now. In real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Walt's progression from... Mr. Chips to Scarface, as uh, Vince Gilligan put it, is incredible, and it's even better on the second watch. I'm rewatching it now, and like I couldn't really recall how uncomfortable it is to watch him in season five when he's just so ruthless and doesn't give a fuck. And yeah, it's strange because he goes from passionate family man to straight up psycho. That's weird. Yeah, no, it's true. You you kind of lose all sympathy for him towards the end. Oh yeah, um, he's frustrating as hell. Like he he lets his ego ruin him pretty much. Yeah, I think he um, he might be one of the, like the TV's greatest villain, maybe. Possibly. Yeah. But but like that's because we get to see his whole progress. We almost get to see him from like winning his first pod race to <laughs> finally you know getting his comeuppance at the end. 
Although he doesn't go, he doesn't go full circle and turn good again, but yeah. Well, oh, yeah, almost ish. I mean, he kills. Yeah, you get a satisfying ending to it, but oh, not yeah. in. He's still kind of a bad guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a really bad guy. Yeah. What do you think, Simon? I think I think he's an absolute wanker. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a beautiful wife. He's got lovely kids, and he, he's just more concerned with sticking meth into his chap's eye than <laughs> making sweet, sweet love. <laughs> Get it together, so. Yeah, I mean, once you put it in those terms. <laughs> like, he could have applied his scientific knowledge to make some, like, really cool wheelchair for his son, like, or an exoskeleton, or... Yeah, exoskeleton. <laughs> yeah, it would have been amazing if that was the Wolverine backstory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But instead uh, he makes meth. And, oh, yeah. what an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it's that thing as well where he did have his chance at being a... Real scientist, but he he had that romantic falling out with uh, Gretchen, and there's a really good scene where they're at dinner. It's it's one of the only times they say the f word in Breaking Bad, but they're at dinner like to talk things over. And Walt is like, "Look, just tell Skyler that you're paying for my treatment." And then they get into the whole backstory thing, and she's like, "You left. You didn't call me. I didn't know." And I'll, and it gets heated, and Walt just looks at her and goes fuck you and it's just so I think the lack of the F word in the whole show is really um, really helps to back up the scenes where they do use it because there's another point where Jesse and Walt have a huge fight and then the fighting stops and they always fight and then come back to being friends but this is a physical fight and um, Walt stands up and he, he picks up his glasses and Jesse's looking at him and you think it's that Jesse good-natured puppy dog eye thing and Jesse's like, can you walk? And Walt is like, yeah, I think so. And then Jesse goes, then get the fuck out of here. It's fucking awesome. But both bad guys, definitely. Yeah. Not as bad as Gus, Both, both breaking bad guys. Whoa. Ooh. The, the box cutter scene with Gus, that's one of the one of the ultimate villainous moves in the entire series, I think. Mm. He just slits the guy's throat with a Stanley knife. It's fucking horrible. Ugh. <laughs> um, is that it? Are we done? I think we've covered every single bad guy. <laughs> in every movie so. ever, yeah. yeah. Um, especially Jack Torrance from The Shining. I'm really happy with our work on it. Yeah. I did miss one, actually. Oh, yeah? The Sheriff of Nottingham from Robin Hood, The Prince of Thieves. Oh, wow, okay. Another classic Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. I think he was beautiful in that. Uh, he got a BAFTA for that, didn't he? Um, whereas the film was pretty much a failure and it ended up with like 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, or the equivalent at release. Is, is this Two the, stars. And... Is it the Kevin Costner one? It is, yeah. yeah. So, as a rule, I don't watch movies with Kevin Costner in them. That is a brilliant film. Alan Rickman is just so venomous in it. And the thing I remember most is when he gets stabbed, he's got a big bit of slobber down his chin. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, the creepy witch lady as a kid, she freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, she was she was really off. So, yeah. um, having not seen the movie, I don't know how bad the Sheriff of Nottingham is, but if Robin Hood wasn't going around breaking the law all the time, stealing from the rich... 
like it, sure it's mm. a very nice thing to do from a moral standpoint but you're still breaking the law I mean the sheriff is just trying to catch a criminal here nah he's still more evil even though Robin Hood is, is a thief is he being paid off He's yeah, he he's kind of slaughtering as many people as he can. Like even at the wedding he's supposed to have with Maid Marian, he's the plan what to celebrate was to hang loads of the outlaws that they caught. And, yeah, yeah, it's just a bit. I mean, to be fair, I mean obviously the law back then would have been to. Yeah, it was hang. the 90s, man. It's whatever. It was, <laughs> it was the 90s, um, but yeah, no, he's just a great like the what's the line where he says like I'll eat your heart out with a spoon. That's a great line. I think he's got slobber on his chin then as well. Yeah, it's the whole way through, isn't it? <laughs> I think that that film did better than Terminator 2 when it came out in 91 as well, actually. I did that, read that. That's upsetting, conceptually. <laughs> that's um, why you should watch Kevin Costner films. I've hmm. seen Untouchables with Kevin Costner in it, and that is a phenomenal movie. Brian De Palma's um, Al Capone movie where De Niro plays Al Capone and does a great job. And Connery plays a Scottish Irishman. Yeah. Or an Irish Scotsman. I don't approve or, of your methods. Well, you're not from Chicago. Well, you're not from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> diddly idle you're not from Chicago. <laughs> I love that Hollywood Irish people are never Irish people. It's so weird. Um, mm. What was I going to say about Untouchables? Uh, De Niro plays the villain in that, and he's actually really good. There's a great line where he gets crossed early on by uh, Kevin Costner and he goes I want him dead I want his family dead I want his house burned to the ground I want to be able to go over there tonight and piss on his family's ashes (laughs) (laughs) it's so fucking evil but then like at the start you see Al Capone as this charming guy like oh in my neighborhood we had a saying that you get further with a kind word and a gun than you did with just a kind word and stuff like that like he's this sort of charming lovable guy but then you see what he's truly capable of and then he got caught for tax evasion and died of syphilis. So there's the lesson, folks. <laughs> do your taxes. Yeah, do your taxes and don't have unprotected sex with multiple strangers. Mm. Trump, Pence, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always relevant, isn't it? Make America great again. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're done. I think the moral is, um, if you know someone who's won a pod race, just don't go anywhere near them. Yeah, and if you know someone who does a podcast, they're really weird. (laughs) Anything with pod in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Stay away from the pods. (laughs) And keep watching the skies. (laughs) So, um, that was really good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was long as well. Like that might be like one of the longest ones. I think it was like an hour and thirty-five minutes or something.
So that was our episode on movie villains. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Oddly enough, we didn't mention any James Bond villains, and that's always seen as the hallmark of a series for villains. But, um, I don't know. I'm 25. I'll probably be 26 by the time you're listening to this. And I think that James Bond is, like, the lamest thing in the world. Um, it was something that I really liked when I was 14, but then I just realized how ridiculous it is. Not just the whole idea of him going through all of these different adventures and stuff like that, but just the whole everything. It's it's the worst. Anyway, the song closing the episode is Maps, which is a cover of a song from a band called Yeah Yeah Yes, who famously had that song... Um, Heads Will Roll, that's what it was called. But uh, this cover is by a band called Camp Cope, and they're fucking awesome. They're an Australian band, and I really, really encourage you guys to go and check them out. I bought their album, uh, which is self-titled, but there's a track on there called Lost Season 1, and it is honestly, like, my favorite song in the world right now. But the whole album is really, really good. It's really profound. It really, like, uh, struck a chord with me. Um, as any album that I tell people to buy tends to do, but um, honestly, it is really good. And if you're uh, a music fan or an audiophile, as they call themselves, which is a term I'm not really comfortable with at all, I think it's really weird and it links too close with another word that ends in file. But anyway, if you are into your music as I am, uh, check that album out. I know a lot of you aren't because, um, I've done, like, episodes, not a whole episode of the podcast, but I've spoken about music before, and people are, like, not really that into it, but um, I would like to do an episode on music in the future. Anyway, um, I do this thing where I just ramble, and it is the worst. I will let you get back to the song. I hope you guys like it, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and the consistency we've been having, because this is the seventh episode in a row, which I think is a run that hasn't been replicated since, <laughs> the, literally since the inception of the podcast. So anyway, I will talk to you guys next week. I've been Eldon Hero. Fuck the Midnight Hour. Fuck this podcast, and fuck everything in the world.